Welcome to Terrible, a Canadian true crime podcast. I'm Marie. And I'm Renee. We're two friends that discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare ourselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcast will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten. Just before we get started, we want to mention that we do have a merch store. If you guys want to check it out and support the show, you can find us on Etsy at Terrible True Crime. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to sign up for a monthly bonus episode. And the last thing is that it really helps when you rate the show and leave us a review or a comment wherever you listen. All right, let's get into some updates. So I'd like to let everyone know that I did get my phone screen fixed. That was pretty quick. Exciting. I went right away. There were shards of glass like coming out of my phone. (laughs) I had to go. It was super expensive. Big bummer, but I'm glad it's been fixed and it's sort of dealt with. Mm -hmm. I bought an OtterBox. Perfect. I got a big case on my phone, so hopefully (laughs) it never happens to me again. The other thing I did this week while waiting for my phone screen to be fixed is go to a local craft store, like a little craft market, to buy some fall decorations. So oh, I love fall. And I could have gone to like winners, and I probably will end up going anyway. But we have this little local market where people who make things by hand That's can kind cute. of rent a space and sell their stuff and i got these knit pumpkins i was literally just thinking of that in my head i'm like it would be really cute to have like a knit pumpkin (gasps) two like white knit pumpkins they're beautiful um they have brought me happiness they're sitting on my dining room table so that was really fun and uh yeah just the fall fall stuff is just it's kind of cozy yes there's like a crispness in the air lately Mm -hmm. um it's a little cool quick here like i find summer lasts longer in ontario than in alberta but that's okay we'll take it yeah i actually made myself my first pumpkin spice coffee this week it was the first time i kind of tried it because last year at this time i never really cared for coffee so i got like the creamer yeah so i got the creamer for it and i was like oh that's kind of fun like adding it to the fall lifestyle. So that was fun this week. My update is kind of a sad one. Renee, living in Alberta, have you ever seen a black bear? Oh, I couldn't tell you what. So the only time I've ever seen a bear here was on the side of the road while we were driving to Banff. I couldn't tell you. It was a baby. I was couldn't it tell alive? you what kind. Yes, it was alive. Um, I feel like it was black, but if I say that, I feel like we're going to get comments yeah. that black bears don't live in this area. Well, I, I saw a black bear dead on the side of the road on my way home from the cottage yeah and it was a baby with a car and it was a baby bear and it's the first time I've ever seen a bear ever in my life and it was like the cutest thing but it was oh that's so upsetting I know it was really sad yeah so we had a good five minutes of silence in the car after I saw that like porcupines and stuff it's like oh poor guy but like a bear whoa I can't imagine hitting a bear I know. Like Scary. Mama Bear ain't going to be happy when she finds her little cub. Oh, oh, that's so sad. I know. Another sad <laughs> update. Well, I guess it's not an update. It's my crime update because this should have We're repercussions. Jumping We're, We're jumping, jumping right, right into the crime updates. Well, let me just tell you guys, you guys are not going to expect this to be in our crime updates. But basically, a frog was held against his will <laughs> in a grocery store. So in London, Ontario, someone uh, went to a Sobeys to do their weekly grocery shopping picked up a compliments pack of just regular lettuce and found a cute the frog is so cute 
It's such a cute frog. I'll put a picture up on the screen if you're it's watching like this the, on YouTube. It's like the classic frogs, like the green frog, the frogs, the green frogs with the black dots. The spots, yeah. Yes. He's so cute. He was alive. So uh, the person that was almost going to buy this frog brought it to the <laughs> cashier. And I guess the cashier ended up taking it home and putting the frog in their um, I don't know how to pronounce this word, so don't come at me, but ter- terrarium. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, so they kept it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's like you have the intention of buying lettuce and then you've left the store with a pet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the person who found it, like was going to buy the lettuce, didn't keep it. It was the cashier, I think. The story is so weird. And I can't believe the frog stayed alive in the pack yeah. of lettuce. Like the plastic containers, yeah. like barely any air in there. Yeah. And the frog just lived until it was rescued. I'm happy it was rescued though. Like imagine being a dead frog and you're actually eating your salad you didn't notice. Do you know what the worst part about that is? Is those containers are like pre-washed. They're ready to eat. Like that lettuce, you don't have to wash again. That's I'd honestly probably keep the frog too, though, if I did buy one. You have to. You have to. You have to name him like Gerald or something, I feel like, and just give him a good life. Yeah. (laughs) So that's my crime update. (laughs) Love it. Some light crime. (laughs) Light animal torture by accident. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to bring it way darker, as I usually do. (laughs) Police recently announced an arrest and charges five years after the murder of Chelsea Gauthier. So homicide investigators announced that 67-year-old Gary Losh... L-O-S-C-H, I'm going to guess it's Losh, was arrested and charged with second-degree murder and indignity to human remains in the murder of Chelsea Gauthier, who was 22 years old at the time. Chelsea was reported missing to the Abbotsford Police Department by her family on July 30th of 2017. Sergeant Timothy Pierotti said that Losh had hired Chelsea to work for him at a cannabis grove in the area where her body was found. Otherwise, they didn't appear to have known each other. Chelsea was a mother to two young girls, and Chelsea's father, Ray, said that his daughter had not been employed by Losh, but had just agreed to clip plants for him in exchange for one. Aww. I know. Like, you're just trying to get yourself a weed plant, and then... So this is a quote from him. He said, just a whole ton of emotions are hitting me. But yeah, it was just a nice sense of relief. There is some closure there, but I mean, it's just begun now. He said that the police did not tell him what changed over the last five years for an arrest and charges to be laid. But he commended the police for sticking with their investigation. Sort of a nice wrap up to such a horrible case. Mm-hmm. I am really, I, I want to cover this case. I'm going to wait till there's a trial. We're going to wait till we get all the information. Um, but yeah, Gary, you suck. And we're glad that you've been charged with second degree murder. So. And just imagine like being her dad after quite a few years of not really hearing much. And then all of a sudden you get this news. It's like, yeah, like sure overwhelming. Yeah. They're not giving you like weekly updates. Exactly. It's just, you, you probably assume the worst that your daughter's case is just cold and that no one's doing anything about mm-hmm. it. And then bam, arrested. And uh, lastly, I want to talk about Patreon. So we were still figuring this whole Patreon thing out. We got patrons way before we expected to. Thank you. But we're we're kind of scrambling to figure out what we're going to do. So we decided to combine our love for shitty reality TV, true crime documentaries, and interrogation videos. Our monthly bonus episodes will focus on well-known Canadian cases. But we will pick a documentary or a docu-series that covers that case. We will both watch it. We will also watch things like interrogation videos or any extra media that's sort of crucial to the case. So we will do no reading, no heavy research. We will indulge in 
good media. We'll always cite or mention what type of media we're watching and we'll recap it together. So it'll be different than our regular format. We'll be able to kind of go back and forth a little bit more. So I think it's going to be lots of fun, as much fun as covering true crime <laughs> can be. And for the month of September, we are going to be covering the Jennifer Pan case. Yes. So this is this is pretty much the first case that got Mackie into some true crime. So we're excited. There's a lot of interrogation videos. There's a lot of trashy documentaries. <laughs> we're going to watch them all and we're we're pumped. So if you want to check that out, the link is in our bio, pretty much everything. Anywhere you can find us, you can find our Patreon. So I guess we should get into this week's case. Jennifer Teague was born in June of 1987 to her parents, Jean and Ed Teague. Jean and Ed had had two boys before Jennifer, so she had two older brothers. The Teague family lived in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Ed worked there for the military, and eventually, as military families do, they moved to Ottawa, Ontario. At first, the family lived outside of the city, but unfortunately, eventually her parents would go through a divorce. After the separation, Jean and the kids moved to a house in the neighborhood of Barhaven. Ed eventually remarried, and him and his new wife lived nearby, and sort of remained, you know, a big part of his kid's life. Growing up, Jennifer is described as an average teen. She had a feisty love of life and left an above average impact on almost everyone who knew her. Friends said it was fun to be around her. She's described as generous, determined, and optimistic. The following information is from an Ottawa Citizen article where her mom, Jean, is interviewed. Jennifer's bedroom featured a collection of NHL bobblehead dolls and had posters of Daniel Alfredson, her favorite Ottawa Senators player. It also had a stuffed lamb named Emily, a toy that she had since childhood, as well as a deck of cards that her and her friend used to play while lounging on her bed and talking and laughing for hours. Jennifer smoked cigarettes, loved Kit Kat chocolate bars, and mm -hmm. probably played a bit too many video games. According to her mother, she often woke up grumpy. Same, girl, same. I feel that one so hard. <laughs> but she was also an avid athlete. She played baseball, and her baseball coach said that she had an arm like a cannon. She was also considered a better-than-average goalie in soccer. Throughout her teens, she held a series of part-time jobs at fast food places. This gave her the money that she needed since she was described as a pretty big shopaholic. <laughs> she liked to rent videos, buy makeup, and buy clothes. Her mom said that she was born to shop. There are so many things about Jennifer that I feel in my soul <laughs> so much like me. In 2005, Jennifer is 18 years old, and she's working at the Wendy's in Barhaven. On September 8th, Jennifer was planning on walking home after a late-night shift. Once her shift was done, she met up with some friends around 1 a.m. at the Max Milk, a local convenience store. After meeting up with her friends, she started her walk home. But Jennifer would never make it home that night. I feel like that's how you start every case. They just never make it home. There's like the amount of times that I've just like walked home from like mm -hmm. a friend's house in the neighborhood or exactly, like, yeah. You think it's harmless, like it's safe. She worked yeah. in Barhaven and lived in Barhaven, which just with friends. Yeah. You can't think about it too much because then you live your life just mm -hmm. terrified of everything. After Jennifer went missing, the auto police launched a search of the surrounding areas. The police initially tried to find out if she was someone who would potentially leave home without telling anyone. They really hoped that Jennifer might just be staying with a friend. But they also wondered about her state of mind and asked 
those closest to her if she suffered from depression or had any thoughts of suicide. There was no sign that Jennifer would have left on her own without telling anyone. So investigators started treating her disappearance like Jennifer had been a victim of a crime. Interesting in a way, it seems like they acted really fast in this case. Like they, there was no, there's not as much hemming and hawing about, mm-hmm. well, could she have ran away? Yeah. It seems like it was pretty like, did she run away? No. Okay, next. Yeah. Something bad let's happened. Find let's find her, yeah. Yes, let's do this thing. So the search began. Officers from the OPP and RCMP, as well as support staff and hundreds of volunteers took part in the search for Jennifer. They initially focused on the immediate area around her home and, you know, the route from work to the Max Milk to home. The police set up a mobile command unit on the grounds of the local church in Barhaven. At the time, police were trying to determine if any items found by the searchers belonged to Jennifer. Initially, they had no clues and no leads. On September 16th, investigators canvassed the neighborhood door to door. They're even requesting entry to some of the homes in hopes to, you know, assist the search and find anything that could lead them to Jennifer. Most residents did actually allow investigators into their home. How do you feel about this? Um, I don't know. I feel like I would say yes, because I would be like, yeah, of course, like, come in. But I don't really blame people that said no, is kind of how I feel. But I think they were being like, I don't care if we find pot in your freezer or whatever just right. let us in right yeah. like, just let us look and make sure i don't know it's just yeah. weird it's like what are you gonna find are you gonna find something that's like you're gonna turn it into something that it's not are you but then again if you say no then it's like why are you saying no if you have nothing yeah. to hide? so it's just like a mind game i feel like yeah um so you yeah. might as well just say yes and just be like don't tear shit up <laughs> yeah yeah it's a tough question for sure um i listened to a American podcast called They Will Kill about this case. And the two women who host it were like shocked that any Canadians were like, yeah, come on in, search. And I have to say, like, the majority of people did give them the okay. So I mm-hmm. feel like it's not like a weird mentality to have. Yeah. To be like, mm, I don't want you in my home. Also, I'm also- thinking like if it's in your neighborhood and you know the person that went missing and you're trying to help like but then it's like how could anything in your house help find her I don't know I think it's just a messy question (laughs) yeah they yeah investigators were doing sort of everything they could obviously and just Mm -hmm. trying to you know check things off their list on September 18th an off-duty auto police officer is walking near the head of stony swamp hiking trail the trail is about five kilometers from where Jennifer disappeared and while he is there he stumbles upon Jennifer's body. And I am like on the all trails trying to like figure out where this trail is. And people are just like, great trail, so lovely and majestic. And I'm like, oh my God, like you don't know. Like imagine just going on a hike or a trail with your dog for like a nice Saturday morning (laughs) little walk with your dog and you come across a body. No thanks. It's like truth or rumor. Unsure if he saw it or if he smelt decomposition. Okay, yeah. And because I feel like it it kind of has, I don't know. I don't know if this has to be said, but I kind of, it's not clear. He was an off-duty police officer. He could have kind of been like, that's yeah. weird is mm-hmm. there a dead animal or something yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, i mean thankfully because mm. who knows but on september 29th jennifer's body is released from the toronto crime lab after extensive forensic testing 
Unfortunately, they don't find any DNA evidence that could help investigators identify her killer. Also kind of hard to believe, right? Like nothing, like there's nothing. That's some Dexter stuff. Right. They know what they're doing. Well, I know the area is like swampy, so I don't know if there could have been like water involved and like, you know, water is like very good at, I think, getting rid of evidence and stuff. So on October 6th, new information is released to the public. Chief Police Officer Vince Bavans says that two people had claimed to be Jennifer's killers. I hate when people do that. Well, yeah, it's like garbage. Claim yeah. to be and not like obviously confirm what they've done. Just yeah. like, ugh. Gross. Like, so I believe this is two separate people, but that's like a truth or rumor. I'm not sure if this is two separate people or two people together. I'm assuming this is two separate loonies, mm. but whatever. So they do this. This is horrible for the family, horrible for investigators. It's a waste of time. We've been through this. We don't understand why people do these false confessions. Mm-hmm. It's strange. They're ruled out by investigators. These are deemed as fake confessions. Um, I also read in one more spot, and I couldn't kind of confirm it with anywhere else, that there was a boy or, a, yeah, a boy, a young man who had walked Jennifer halfway home that night, and he was kind of looked at by investigators. He had scratches on his face. It seemed very weird. Oh, that's odd. Um, yeah, and they were like, this is fish. But when they looked more into it, I guess he had cut his face shaving. He didn't seem like a good fit, so they kind of ruled him out early on as well. You know, something I would like to know, and I'm sure I could just Google this really quickly, but what's the punishment for saying that you did a crime that you didn't do and then it like wastes resources and time? Oh, yes. Yeah, so let's talk about it next episode. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that can be your crime update. I won't make you look at a, a dark case. Perfect. You can that tell works. me what's going on. <laughs> So I believe that they were able to rule out these fake confessions because a detective on the case did something very smart. His name is Detective Greg Brown. He was the lead investigator or detective on her case, on Jennifer's case. After her body was found, he made the decision to set up a decoy tent across the road from where her body had actually been found. This suggested to the media and the general public that the body was found where the tent was and not where it was actually found. And the idea behind this is only the killer would know where she was actually Mm -hmm. put. Detective Brown referred to this as valuable holdback evidence. We've talked about this before, but we've never seen it kind of done this way. At this time, there was a $100,000 reward for any information about Jennifer's case. Sorry, another thing totally unrelated, but like, do people ever win these rewards and just become rich off of them? You know what I mean? Like we've never covered a case where it's like, and someone came forward yeah, and, and got a hundred thousand dollars and the family was, you yeah, know, like, at peace now. And like, no, we've never, that's never happened. A thought. That's very true. So many questions. So many potential so many. <laughs> <laughs> On April 5th, police released a sketch of a suspect and asked the public for help. New tips do pour in. On May 24th, the police release photos of potential witnesses taken from the surveillance camera in a Max Milk store in Barhaven. So at this point, they're not even looking for the perpetrator. They're looking for, they're like, identify who was at this Max Milk so they can tell us maybe what they did or didn't see or did they, you know, do they remember seeing Jennifer? So they're, they're really trying everything. People closest to Jennifer do not recognize the person in the sketch. Hmm. It's very cartoony. We'll add it to our social media. You guys will see it on YouTube if you're watching that way. 
It's interesting. I don't really know what to make of it. Really could be anyone, I feel like. I feel like it's a, for sure for sure young. I feel like he'd be like tall, lanky, yeah. baby face. Like thin hair. Yeah. So that's the sketch. So everyone's like, nope, don't recognize him. On June 9th of 2006, a man is rushed to hospital after he was found slash seen running around naked onto Fallowfield Road in the middle of speeding traffic. The man who was running around naked in traffic was screaming that he killed Jennifer Teague. We would later find out that part of this strange behavior could be blamed on the fact that he had consumed, I'm assuming, way too much of magic mushrooms. Interesting. This man's name was Kevin Davis. He is a 24-year-old and he's described as a pizza maker, which I'm assuming <laughs> means that he worked for like pizza, a takeout pizza, pizza company. <laughs> he put the pizzas in the oven. <laughs> I don't know. So naturally, he's brought to hospital and questioned by police. He told investigators that he didn't know anything about Jennifer. So his, you know, quote unquote confession was given under a large amount of influence thanks to the magic mushrooms. Yeah, but how can you confess to someone you like you don't even know is So Jennifer's murdered. case had been in the media. So so ev- at this point, everyone knows that Jennifer's. Okay yeah not with us anymore um her case had been in the media it was everywhere so you have to think like if you are a person who is hallucinating because you are on mushrooms a a very high dose of mushrooms um it's not like that strange that it would manifest into something that you've been maybe consuming a lot lately but Mm. we'll get to it we'll get to it hold the thoughts so they kind of look into him obviously you know he seemed to have somewhat of an alibi they couldn't corroborated but they couldn't kind of you know rule it out it's strange they have no evidence nothing concrete they let it go but on june 26th gavin walks up to an off-duty police officer and turns himself in he again admits to having killed jennifer teague sober sober this time oh god we would later find out that kevin had taken his mother's car and drove around barhaven for three nights in a row in september of 2005. he was patiently searching for a victim ew i hate that (laughs) yeah it's so good there's nothing creepier yeah it's it's very reminiscent of um oh the tweed creeper (laughs) yeah the tweed creeper (laughs) You know what, this is episode 37, names are starting to, not the victim's names, the victim names are burned in my head, the perpetrator's names are gone. They're Um, awful. Yeah, the Tweet Creeper sitting in your house, like, it's just like the the planning. It's like the, like, hmm. The methodical planning of a crime. Gross. He confessed to putting together a, a kill kit. This included a knife, ropes, and a gag. Detective Brown, who again was head of the investigation, took Kevin to the swampy area where Jennifer was found and asked him where he left her body. He, you know, pointed to the spot where he had left her and not where the decoy tent had been set up. They knew they had their guy and on June 27th, he was officially charged with first degree murder. While in jail, Kevin kind of started to be like oh probably shouldn't have confessed to this this kind of sucks and he's trying to kind of say you know i was tired i confessed under overwhelming fatigue he's trying to recant detective Brown is pissed he's like no you're not even doing this to me right now you are guilty mm-hmm. for the second he, time like you're saying he, yeah no yes yes this is a quote from detective brown i don't get angry very often but i was absolutely furious 
I think he was just an evil monster who deserved to be locked up for the rest of his life. In November of 2007, Davis was committed to stand trial. During the legal process, it would be revealed that again he had been searching for a young woman to rape and murder. He said that he wanted a younger victim because she'd be easier to control. Ugh. This is like trigger, trigger, trigger warning. He said that Jennifer was a completely random opportunity. Once he abducted her, he was unable to go through with his original plan of raping her, thankfully. But horribly, instead, he just opted out to strangle her in his home, where his mother, because obviously he's 24 years old and lives with your mom, and there's nothing wrong with that, but in this case, he's a loser. <laughs> where his mother was sleeping in the oh room next door. Oh my god. Yeah. I hope that mom is disgusted with him. Because you oh, know so you did this to your mom. Like you really like like think about like if you don't care about Jennifer, think about how this is gonna affect people. Obviously, you uh, doesn't care about I feel anyone, like but some 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 stupid families are like, Oh, that's my boy. He wasn't thinking right. Yeah, he never I, heard a fly. Some for sure. Yeah. I have found nothing that his family is defending him, so I doubt <laughs> it. Good. But yeah, I yeah. Um, I would be severely angry yeah. if I was his mother when this came out later. Severely obviously. traumatized. Yeah, severely needing like therapy. Words, yeah, words can't even describe, I'm sure, how she, mm. she felt. He then disposed of her body on the trail near Moody Drive. And he said a couple other stupid things about reasons why you know he was so angry at women. And he was just angry in general, angry at the world. Um, one of these probably incel guys for like no girls like me and which means I need to hurt one of them. Yeah. He said he was sort of influenced to do this because he had recently been fired from his job at Home Depot. So unsure if he was working two jobs, pizza maker, Home Depot worker, I don't know. And by the death of his cat. <laughs> How the heck is that related? It's not. The same day that Chris Myers, the suspect in the 2003 murder of Artith Wood, a case that we covered and that is often mentioned when discussing the Jennifer T case, pleaded guilty. They're mentioned because Artith was murdered and Jennifer was murdered before they solved Artith's case. So it was speculated they were oh. worried that there might be a serial killer moving oh. around the Ottawa region. Not to mention that Markham is about four hours away, the Alicia Ross case that we covered last week. So what is worse? Three different men killing three different women in the same region oh. or a serial killer on the loose. Scary. This is what the town, like this is I what think the area is dealing with right now. I think it's worse having three different men on the loose because just the just knowing that multiple people can be this sick and do yes, stuff 100%. like that just means that there's more coming you know what i mean yes. like it's like there's oh yeah scary scary like not that long of a time frame either mm -mm. um anyway i thought that was definitely worth mentioning so the same day that chris myers pleads guilty kevin davis had announced his intention to also plead guilty on the charges of murder at the start of his trial which was scheduled later in january of 2008. he eventually does plead guilty and is sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years do you want to hear his little remorse speech or Ugh, should we yes. skip over it okay 
I want to hear it just to hear how stupid it is. So he he basically says, I deserve nothing less than the punishment that I receive here in this courtroom today. And if I could give my life to bring Jennifer back, I would do it without hesitation. No. He said, yeah. So he apparently is like emoting emotions during this, but had previously pretty much been like stone cold. So um, well, now we're going to talk about family reaction because that's really important in cases like this. I am giving this murderer like 0.5 seconds and we're like, going to move on to what Jennifer matters. didn't kill your cat. She didn't deserve any of this. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Like... even if she had, she didn't deserve this. But no, it's just, it's it's one of these, like he was mad at the world mm. and had just, and obviously like is unwell because uh, many people are mad at the world and are not Use a punching murdering, bag. Or not yeah. murdering people. So um, yeah. Jean Teague, Jennifer's mother, told reporters outside of the courthouse that the hardest thing for her to hear was her daughter's last words, which were, my mom will be worried when she didn't make it oh. home. Heartbreaking. Jennifer told him that? Yes. That's what he's Like, saying. my mom's going to be worried. Like, I need to go. Sort of trying to, obviously. Oh, that's heartbreaking. At home. Yeah, super heartbreaking. Jean said that the crime has affected her ability to enjoy what she used to do with her family. Sort of routine activities like shopping, participating in hockey pools, celebrating birthdays and Christmas. She said the following. My family and I have tried to keep our traditions intact as much as possible. At Christmas, we each get an ornament for the tree. We continue to get one for Jennifer and put it on the tree for her. When we take the tree down, we put the ornament in her container and we are saving them for the first female grandchild. Oh. Jean said that it's been especially painful to watch her two sons deal with the loss of their only sister. Kevin, who is the oldest, was the only family member who attended the preliminary hearing at which most of the details of the murder were discussed. He was so disturbed by what he heard, he was unable to attend sort of the later proceedings, of course. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. Jennifer had several friends that loved her. One of her friends, Kaylee, said the following. She was the most happy person I've ever met in my life. I don't walk at night anymore. I carry pepper spray on me at all times. Her other friend, Alicia, who met Jennifer at the Max convenience store that night, shortly before her abduction, said that she suffers from frequent panic attack, sleepless nights, and nightmares. The crime has affected almost every aspect of my life. It has changed me entirely. Another friend, who's Amy Picknell, also wrote about sleepless nights, missing work, loneliness, and trouble making it through many days. It's so hard to be out in public going for a walk or sitting on the bus and hearing complete strangers talking about her without bursting into tears. And finally, I just had to include all of these. I like, I just, we don't often get this much Mm -hmm. information and family talking about Jennifer. And I just thought they were all so important. Another friend, Melissa said that she can no longer participate in activities that she did with Jennifer. She developed a fear of being alone and endured an abusive relationship for nearly a year rather than live on her own. I find it very hard to trust even close friends now. The pain from everything I've been through has almost numbed me. I feel like this is sort of a unique experience of getting to see really how much Jennifer's death and murder affected the people around her. Mm -hmm. Her dad also spoke, Ed did, and he said, There will never be closure as long as one question remains unanswered. Why? He spoke about Kevin Davis's impact statement. An impact statement is supposed to have an impact. 
I wanted to see if there was a reaction. I think the family strongly felt like there was no no real reaction from this statement mm -hmm. and they feel like they'll never get that the answers are an adequate answer because i i just think there really is none right like it's yeah yeah horrible detective brown continues to have a close relationship with the teague family ed also thinks of him as a friend ed teague now tells his stories at victimology conferences at first i was kind of hesitant but then i thought why not let people know what happened if people don't know, maybe they can glean something from it. You'll never forget the hurt, but there's a point when your life has to go on. Nine years after Jennifer was murdered, her father and her stepmother wrote a book about how to cope with similar strategies. They spend their time advocating for individuals who have been murdered and forgotten. They believe that everyone remembers the murder, but forget the actual victims. The book is called Behind the Darkest Hour, Where Hope Lies. Sylvie, which is Jennifer's stepmom, says their hope through this book is to help other victims of violence heal. That is our greatest desire, to help people find hope beyond their circumstance. Ed added, That child is God's gift, and you have to hold them tight. So, how do you feel? Scared. Because that's yeah. like a wrong place, wrong time, disgusting person. Random. Just like so random so uncalled for obviously um yeah i am glad that he confessed in a way like i is so random that i feel like it would have gone on so many of the cases we've done recently i feel like would have just gone unsolved mm -hmm. if people hadn't confessed and that's scary because... and i wonder yeah no you're right and i wonder if he didn't do shrooms that first time and like just had that impulse to and say the paranoia that he did like developed yeah after exactly that. like i wonder if he didn't have if he didn't do that, then would he feel like he needed to say something at all? Like, I don't know. No, really, who knows? Uh, super awful case. Um, I loved all the nice things that we are mm -hmm. able to find that Jennifer's family said about her. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it doesn't feel great. I'm glad we covered this case. It's very interesting, all the sort of connections between the Artist Wood case, Alicia Ross case, and Jennifer Teague's case. Um, all happened around the same time and around the same areas and I just I don't know what was in the water around that time but horrible 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 it's also really awful that obviously like it wasn't a serial killer but the fact that they would have been able to get away with it for Chris, obviously like yes artist killer is the only one that, Chris Myers is the only one who was caught yeah red-handed you know? yeah so Jennifer's stepmother has worked on proposing a bill of victims' rights with the help of Victims of Violence, a charity providing support to victims of violence as well as support to their families. And that is why... This week, we'll be donating to Canadian Resource Centre for Victims of Crime. This is from their website. The CRCVC provides support and guidance to individual victims and their families in order to assist them in obtaining needed services and resources and advances victims' rights by presenting the interests and perspectives of victims of crime to government at all levels. We also strive to foster heightened public awareness of victims' issues, conduct research in the fields of victimology, and promote exchanges between professionals at the local, provincial, and national level. If you'd like to contribute to CRCVC, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram and TikTok bio. Pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram, so please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below.
If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at terribletruecrime at gmail.com. As always, link to our sources will be in the description below, so feel free to check them out. Thank you for joining us and see you next time.